see everyone here this morning, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. And I hope you, uh, I hope you get out of services what I get, and uh, the fellowship as we sit around the table, take the Lord's supper and praising our Lord. And it just feels good to, to have brethren that you can. You know, as Sandra talks about, she she, she says, you know, you, you get to know people and you, you're just ready to defend them and you're ready to, you know, help them. And and there's always a blessing whenever we're we're uh, with brethren. And so, also just remind the, the congregation that, that there is a you know gospel meeting down in Hoboken. And the brethren would appreciate, you know, our encouragement. But I tell you what I get out of it is is to get to go hear another lesson and and to be with brethren. So if you have the opportunity to try to do that, obviously we can do that uh, this afternoon at 5 and, and uh, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, and then our Wednesday night service. Douglas came home. We went to Perry this weekend. Douglas came home and, um, and it was a First weekend of muzzleloading season, season down there, so that's that's why we were gathering up. And uh, but we had conversations, and we was talking about. And he was talking about he was in a computer lab, and, and he said this young lady who's who's uh, she's she's pretty loud. He he engaged her in a in a religious conversation, and so they were going back and forth and discussing things. And uh, I think somewhere in that conversation it came up about drinking. And he said, well, you know that's a sin. And she said, no, it's not. So they, they went back and forth. And, and uh, she said, basically, well, I'm going to do what I, I'm going to do because I, I know what I believe. Later, because she was kind of loud, several other people in the computer lab heard the conversation. Well, this other guy came up and says, I grew up and I went to this religious school my whole entire life, and I've never heard that the Bible teaches drunkenness is a sin. And which Douglas showed him. And he had a whole different aspect. And I think they're going to study. My point to today's lesson is, are we entering a time as Christians that we're going to be persecuted because of our beliefs. And it's not because we're bad people, but it's because the world has gone a place and they don't know what righteousness is. <coughs> and I think that's what happened during Christ's time and during the first century during the church. Because you got to realize whenever the church came along, besides the Jews, they were the only monotheistic religion around. Everybody else had many gods. Or they just didn't have any religion. It was about self. And so when Christ came along, it was monotheism. It was about self-discipline. It was about serving God. Very different approach. And I think we're getting there. I read an article this weekend did you know that millennials, I think about half of them believe in astrology. In other words, 
That's becoming younger generation's religion. So, where are we at? What are we going to do? And does the Bible speak to some of this? And I think there's some very encouraging words in this. And 1 Peter, take your Bible. We're going to stay all in 1 Peter. We're going to start off. I'm going to hit a few verses in the back of it. Then we're going to go to the first chapter. We're going to, all we're going to do is just go through the first chapter of 1 Peter. But what's the purpose of 1 Peter? The purpose of 1 Peter is found, you can find it in two places, and I think it's consistent both places with a slight twist. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. In other words, you're going to have some issues. You're going to have some trials. And don't think it's strange that you do. But to the degree that you share the suffering, sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. So we're going to, he's telling the brethren, and we'll discuss which brethren it is, that you're going to have trials and count it a blessing because those trials will lead you to Christ. Go to 1 Peter 5.12 also. 1 Peter 5.12. <laughs> Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, <coughs> I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And so he's telling them, you're going to have trials, and I'm telling you, stand firm because the true grace of God will come to you. Now that's, that's the purpose of this book. He's trying through this book He's encouraging the brethren. Now, go to the first, go back to chapter 1, and we're going to start over now. Chapter 1. So let's, let's put the context of these trials. We believe, most people believe, that 1 Peter was written somewhere 60 to 68. In 68 AD, Nero died. Who was Nero? Nero... <clears throat> through tradition, and most people believe, Nero was the Caesar that used Christians as lampposts. The fuel for the lampposts. Nero persecuted the Christians. And so now you have Peter writing a letter that we believe at this time it states it is Peter. And we have Peter writing a letter to the brethren and trying to encourage them and tell them their duties as a Christian. And it's in a time when there's great persecution against the church. Secular persecution. So not only was there what Paul wrote about a lot in his letter was about persecution of Jews against the Christian religion. But there's also now 
governmental persecution of the church. So how do we know some of this? So 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that tells us who wrote the book, to those who reside as aliens, pilgrims, aliens, foreigners, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. So he's writing this book of Peter, this first Peter. So he's writing to regions. He's writing to Asia and Galatia. And these brethren are scattered. Now we know there was a scattering early in the church, but that was somewhere around uh, Christ's death. Remember when Stephen was, was, was stoned? There was a scattering of the church. But now Nero has set up a systematic persecution of the Christians. And so now, where you might have large churches, large churches are being persecuted. Well, how can you change being persecuted? Well, you know, up to two years ago, nobody knew who I was over here. I could actually... Two years ago, Saturn and I could have come in this community and could have been hit. Right? I don't think we can now. But as Christians, we could go and we could take a few Christians and we could go to another community and quietly start spreading the gospel. And hopefully build a church and get big enough where persecution would come. That's what I think happened here. So the church got big enough in Jerusalem. It got big enough in Antioch. And whenever Nero started persecuting Christians, you had another spread. And Peter is writing to these. And that, some of this is this is just, um, can't prove that. But we do know he's writing to Christians and they, they are being persecuted. We do know that. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest passion. So he's now encouraging the brethren. Verse 3. He's now telling them there is a hope for the future. So if you got people being persecuted and you want them to stay on the right path, well, they ain't much looking forward to. They ain't much to do. It's a terrible road. Is that how you encourage people? That's not how we encourage people. Not when there's problems. So whenever our kids come home and they complain about something, this doesn't happen every time, but they'll laugh. They have to, you know, if, if they come home several times complaining, especially for something at church, they then have to give a list of five things. And today they all joke, okay, here's the five things that's positive. You got to give people hope. You got to get them where they look on the positive side. So, so Peter starts out in verse 3, blessed be the Father, blessed be God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A living hope of resurrection. He's telling them there is hope. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven. 
So he starts off telling them, you are foreigners, you're being persecuted, but let me tell you about the imperishable thing that you have. You have heaven. You have hope. And then he goes into verses 5 through 9. And he actually, so he tells them, in the future, there is heaven. There is, there is a crown of life. And there is something waiting for you. But then he comes back to the, to the present day in verses 5 through 9. And as we read these passages, think about, he's telling them, these persecutions, these trials that you're having is going to make you a better Christian and it's going to refine you and it's going to make you to where you can have that home in heaven. So he's giving you a reason why you need to have some of these trials. So in chapter, verse 5, uh, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while. So he says, greatly rejoice because here for a little while, while on life, on earth, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Our perspective as Christians has to be eternity. How many of us can look past? How many of us, and this is, I'm guilty of this. I'm as guilty as anybody of this. By this age, I need to have this. By this age, I'm going to have this taken care of. By this age, I'm saving for retirement. During retirement, I'm going to have what's after. I plan, which the Lord showed me my plans don't work. <coughs> but am I planning this much? Or am I planning this much? God's telling us, plan this much. Plan for eternity. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you're just, you have been distressed by various trials. So you're going to have trials while on earth. So that the proof of your faith, these trials are here to prove our faith. They're not here just to make our lives hard. It's easy to be a Christian if everybody's smiling at you. It's easy to be a Christian if everybody agrees with you. But do we know that we're truly a Christian whenever we walk through the fire? <coughs> Have you been tried? And how do we look at that, that trial? And he's telling us how to look at this trial. And he says in verse 7, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full glory. He's acknowledging these brethren. So he's talking to brethren that never saw Christ, but that believe in Christ. That matches us, right? They have a long view. And he's telling them, you're going to have these trials. And just like whenever we throw hot metal in a furnace to refine it, it's got to go through the fire to be refined. As Christians, 
trials, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm getting better at this. I'm not there yet. Whenever a trial comes, I'm saying, okay, what am I going to learn out of this? I'm at least getting where I'll ask that question now. Used to, I used to think, oh no, I got something else I got to do. But as Christians, we should be asking, how is this going to help me to improve to be a Christian and better serve Christ to get through this trial? That's what he's telling them here. Count it all joy that you can have these trials because it's going to refine you. In verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So in verse 4 and 5, four, 3 and 4, he tells them about salvation. He brings it back to salvation in verse 9 also. Then in verse 10, he does something that we typically do in our society today. If you're writing a speech, if you're writing a speech in our society today, the first thing you want to do is you want to take people back to the past and tie them into something that they believe in that's historical, and then you want to come forward. Well, Peter did it the opposite way. He gave them the hope the first one. He told them about the present time, and then he went back in verse 10 and 12, and as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. They made careful searches and inquiries. The prophets were there why were they there and making searches inquiries? Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was, in, was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The prophets, so before, this is why, you know, we spent, a, we spent almost a year that we studied the Old Testament. Because we figured out the prophets were all looking for the Messiah, Right? And so he takes this, and this is one reason we think a lot of the people that he was writing this letter to were Jewish. Because the Gentile wouldn't understand what the prophets were talking about. But we think he, he was writing this and, and, and it had a Jewish bent on it because he's encouraging because everybody knew, if you were Jew, you knew that the prophets were looking for the Messiah. And he takes them back there to show the Christ, this is the Christ. In verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you. Through those who preach the gospel, to you the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things to the angels long to look. Which angels long to look. And so he goes back and he shows how the prophets and the priests, they were all looking for the Messiah. So he gives us hope. He talks about the present time and the trials. He goes back to history and shows this is all supposed to happen. And these trials that you're going through are there for you and to help you to be Christians. Now he gets, so now we're going to get into, we're right at the end of the time of the lesson, so I'll start a little late. But verse 13, we're going to, we'll run through this. Verse 13 through 16, he starts giving us things that we're supposed to do as Christians. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare. We as Christians have to prepare. We're going through trials. We're going through difficulties. 
Prepare your minds for that. Keep sober in the spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which was yours in your ignorance. He tells us to prepare our minds as Christians for these trials. Don't go back to what you used to be. It's always a temptation because what we used to be was easy. We got to do what we wanted to. It was me that got made the decision. But whenever I'm a child of Christ, Christ should be making my choices. That's who should be making my choices. Um, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There's, there's a whole lesson in verse 16 there. Verses 15 and 16 around holy. There's actually a lot of lessons in each one of these verses. But if you go back to the Old Testament, and you go figure out where that came from, and you figure out what happened around that, who got killed because they were not holy, it opens your eyes to the whole lesson there about us being holy, being that pure sacrifice. Down in verse 22, since you have been having obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, excuse me, let me stop there. Verse 22. You have been in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another. He's talking to the brethren here about persecution. And this verse here, I often wonder about this verse. Does he bring this verse in here because whenever we're being persecuted out there, we got to love one another. we got to circle the wagons. We've got to be together because it's easy to pick us off whenever we're seen. It's the same thing what animals do in the wild. The devil uses the same tactics. Verse 23, For you have been born again, not of the seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and the enduring word of God. Now that word seed there, if you want to go home and do something, go look up the word seed. And that seed, that word seed that Peter uses here, is a profound word all the way through the Old Testament. And all the way through, Galatians discusses that seed. Paul discusses that seed there. And that word has a lot of meaning as far as Christ. And so again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. He's taking us back to that hope. That we're going to have these trials, but we have the hope because our hope is imperishable. Our hope transcends time. And that's why you go back and study the Old Testament because our hope does transcend time. It's not just happened in 33 AD. For you have been born again, uh, excuse me, verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of, the gra flower of grass. The grass withers 
the flowers fall away. Do you see how he's trying to take the brethren of the first century and he's trying to give them that long view? Because if we take the short view, we'll fail underneath the trials. Because it's not worth it. We discussed this morning in, in, in the Acts class that Reggie taught well about Paul having to be put up and to be taken by the soldiers to protect him because he's getting the snot beat out of him to use a southern Georgia term. Right? You don't, you don't let people be... You know, remember, that's just one time in Jerusalem. He was stoned and left for dead outside of the city one time. You don't get up and keep going back at this stuff if you're only thinking about this life. Paul could see the imperishable crown. That's what we've got to look for. Verse 25, and this is where we're going to, we're going to end in, in the next few verses in chapter 2. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which is preached to you. And that's what we come together. We come to worship and to love and to study God's Word because that's what's going to endure us forever. In verse 1 and 2 and 3 of chapter 2, therefore putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisies, envies, and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. He brings us back. He keeps bringing us back that you're going to have trials, but there is salvation. You're going to have trials, but there is an imperishable crown. You see how he keeps bringing us back? And here in the last part of this text, he tells us what to look for as us Christians. It's the pure word of God. That's what we have to hold on to. That's our faith. We have to have that. We have to learn the word of God. Now go back. Now I hope for everyone here, it's pretty obvious drunkenness is condemned in the Bible. How can people even look to the Lord whenever they don't understand the Word of God. Do you see where the world's headed? So we better understand the Word. We better learn. And we better grow our faith in the Word. Because the world's going this way. And God's called us to go this way. And whenever people can't understand some of the basics. These are not even controversial things. But notice I said drunkenness. I didn't, you know, I didn't go to where Paul talks about taking a little wine for the stomach's sake. You know, we can have that. You know, I, I'm, you know, for medicinal purposes. I'm talking about drunkenness. People don't understand what God is offering us. Make sure you understand. Make sure you're growing your faith because trials are going to come. Trials are going to come to every one of us. Trials 
My trials are not over. But if I grow my faith, and I keep growing, guess what? And I know that there's a hope out there. And I know that whenever, if I can be faithful till death, I can achieve that hope. That's what Paul, that's what Peter is writing here. So as brothers and sisters, we're going to have trials. It's no different than the first century. Peter's writing that. Now, the interesting thing, I didn't give your homework, Simon. You should always give homework, right? Go now and read. He's calling them. And, and there's a little bit more uh, in chapter 2, but 3, 4, and 5 are very practical Christian living that he exhorts them to do. And he's telling them, do these things so other people can see your good deeds and so they can see what you're supposed to be. And what's interesting is things that's in, that's in chapter, some of chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5 are things that in our world today people don't even acknowledge. And if they do acknowledge it, they don't even acknowledge it correctly. But those are the... So you don't have to understand a lot, I think, to understand the rest of those passages. It's pretty self-explanatory. But he's encouraging them. These are the things you're going to do. So if there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, if there's anyone here that needs to repent of sins. We all sin and fall short. You wouldn't have to write these letters if the brethren wasn't falling short. Remember, all we really need is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's all we really need. But since we're humans and we don't get it right, we need, maybe we need Acts. Maybe that's a that's historical book. So let me add Acts in there. But everything after that is about correcting problems of the first century church. And so, brethren, we're going to have problems. So if there's anyone here that's, that's, that needs help, please come forward as we can. So, 274A. Jesus.